we read earlier from the pen of David. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And we see in David what it is to have a heart for God. If there was one thing that you could ask of God today and you had God's assurance that whatever you asked you may have, what would you ask for? There are a lot of things that we have around us and that we experience as Christian people. There are all kinds of things that we have in our lives which are expressions and consequences of our faith. A particular circle of friends, certain types of books on your bookshelves, certain habits and routines, music that you listen to, your involvement in a local church, perhaps a a leaning towards a particular style of worship. All of these things play a part in our Christian walk and many of us value these things very highly and for the most part, rightly so. But could it be that these expressions and consequences of being a follower of Christ actually can start to mean more to us than Christ himself means to us. That we spend more time dealing with those kinds of things in a typical week than we ever spend alone with Christ. Could it be that for a Christian, these tangible things, these things which appeal to our physical senses, that these things in themselves begin to become the most important things in defining what it means for us to be a Christian. So that, for example, the physical and emotional act of worshipping God starts to mean more to you than God himself. The act of worshipping becomes more significant than the God whom you worship. Or the books on your bookshelves, which are meant to help you better understand the Bible and thereby know God all the better, those books begin to mean more to you than either your Bible or God. Your fascination with doctrine and a commitment to a particular form of doctrine, occupy your thoughts and your affections far more than thoughts and affections for God himself. Uh, What if when God invited you to ask of him whatever it was that you desired, that God said, no, you just get me. What if, if you were travelling with great expectation and anticipation to what you anticipated to be a a nerve-tingling time of worship and you arrived at the hall 
to discover that it was just you and God alone. Is there any possibility that in such a situation you might actually feel a sense of disappointment? Because the things that you've surrounded yourself with, which are the emblems and expressions of your faith, have actually begun to mean more to you than God means to you. Some of you might think that this is all a bit far-fetched, but I actually believe there's a danger that that can happen. If there was one thing that you could ask of God today, and you had God's assurance that whatever you ask, you may have it, would your request have been anywhere near the request that David makes of God in verse 4 of Psalm 27? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Here's my first of three points as we look at verses 4, 5 and 6 of Psalm 27. Number one, just one thing. To the rich young ruler, Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come take up your cross and follow me just one thing but that one thing required that man to turn his whole life upside down to Martha Jesus said one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that better part the Apostle Paul, when writing in Philippians chapter 3, What things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him there's just one thing that mattered to Paul and that was that he might know Christ. And David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. And here's the question. Are you a one thing Christian? As you read through the Bible, what is it that you discover? Well, of course, you discover many things. 
But you discover that when God has truly worked in the heart of a sinful man or woman, when that person has truly been regenerated and born again, when the transforming power of God has done its work within you, there is one single desire which rises far above all others. And it's a yearning after God. In the rich young ruler, we see a man who had satisfied many of the desires that people still have today. He had great wealth and possessions. Is that something that's high up on your list of desires? Is the accumulating of worldly goods something to which you devote yourself? Is your heart and your mind constantly swimming with desires about what you're going to acquire next? How you're going to improve this? and How and when you're going to replace that? That's not where the desires of a godly man or woman should lie. Some of those things may be legitimate things, but when it comes to your deepest desires, what then? When God moves, all of those kinds of things should be superseded by one single desire. In Martha, we see someone who sees great importance in having things just so. If people are visiting in the house, the meal has to be just right. The house has to be just right. What will people think if I don't provide them with a decent meal? Listening to preaching? Who's got time for that when there are all these jobs to be done? Martha. Martha. One thing is needed. And Mary has found it. Desire is a strong word, isn't it? Desire is what drives you. Look at what David says. That I will seek. That's what's driving him and motivating him. What drives you as a Christian? What's your heart's desire as a Christian? What are you seeking after as a Christian? Well, the Bible helps us to see how we should direct and focus our lives as we have the lives of others laid before us. Paul discovered that which Jesus said to the rich young ruler and to Martha, that God requires us to completely disregard all other things in comparison to this one thing. Just one thing I have desired of the Lord. I believe that when you can say these things as David says them in Psalm 27, then it is that you've really begun to understand what it means to be a Christian, to be a child of God, and to be a follower of Christ. To be able to say like Paul, I count all other things as rubbish. Count them all as loss 
if it means that I can have this, if I may gain Christ and be found in him and know him. This is what the Bible presents us as the mark of a true believer. And when you can say and when your life displays that it all boils down to just one thing. So first of all we see in David just one thing. And then secondly we see in him just one place. Dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Now the Old Testament tabernacle, which was the house of the Lord, later replaced by the temple. These are symbolic of the presence of God amongst Old Testament Israel. So David's desire is not so much for a particular place or a particular building, but actually for what it represents. To forever be in the presence of the Lord. And that is precisely what Paul was talking about in Philippians when he speaks about being found in Christ. Jesus in John chapter 15 speaks of us abiding in him and he in us. Now what's another word that you could use instead of the word abide? Well you could use the word dwell, to live in. You see, in Christ, in abiding in Christ, dwelling in Christ, you actually have that which David is praying for. You may be a Christian who supposes that the experience of God's Old Testament people, their experiences are so far removed from New Testament Christianity that they're just not worth considering. Well, there's nothing for me there, you think. My dear friend, you could not be more wrong. If David had entered the tabernacle, the house of the Lord, what would he have seen and smelled? Because it would have appealed to all of your senses. He'd have discovered a whole load of things, all of which point to Christ. In the house of the Lord, he'd have found the altar of sacrifice where blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. He'd have seen the bowl of water, sometimes known as the laver, for washing and for cleansing. He'd have seen the table of showbread because God is indeed the bread of life, the source of every good thing. And who was it who claimed to be that? the burning lampstand to give light and the incense of prayer and petition offered by the priests on behalf of all the people. Who is it who is the light of the world? Who is it who is the one mediator between God and man who even now in his risen glory intercedes for you at God's right hand. Everything that was familiar to David in the house of the Lord in Old Testament days is all pointing to Christ. 
and within that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant resides. Because God is in covenant with his people. And you as a Christian, are you not now rejoicing in the new covenant that has been established by God through the shed blood of Christ as we remember every time we share the Lord's Supper together? And on top of the ark, the mercy seat for the annual sprinkling of blood for the atonement of sins. Everything in the house of the Lord where David longs to be is pointing him, pointing you to Christ. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of forgiveness, a place of mercy, a place of grace, of fellowship with God the Father, a place of intercession and mediation between a sinful people and a holy God. This is my one desire, says David. This is the overwhelming desire of my heart, to be there so that I have all of that. And for you, dear Christian friends, this ought to be your one desire, the overwhelming desire of your heart. Because everything that David longed for, you have in Christ to be with Christ, to be found in him, to abide in him, to dwell with him. Uh, and the desire of our hearts as Christian people ought to be this, that I will not permit anything, I will not entertain anything, I will not keep hold of anything that threatens my being with Christ all the days of my life. Just one thing and one place to dwell, to abide with Christ. And as Christians, we, we do that at the foot of the cross and we do that as those who are seated with him in heavenly places. To be filled with his light and life. To know the fullness of Christ. And to be there in Christ is to bring you to God the Father. We've thought about just one thing just one place and thirdly just one God David says to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple now without doubt you can think about this as David longing to see the wonder and the majesty and the splendor of God in all his transcendent glory and holiness. Think of Christ's revelation to John at the close of the scriptures 
and the vivid language that is used to try and put into words the magnificence of the presence of God, the place where God dwells. Then we're reminded of Isaiah's vision where he dare not gaze upon the holiness of God and where even the sinless angels cover their faces with two of their wings. Such is the holiness of God. So how is it that we can behold the beauty of the Lord? How is it that we inquire in his temple? The answer to both of those questions is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that to see him is to see the Father. And that to come to him is to come to the Father. And the Apostle Paul kind of sums all of that up when he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To behold the beauty of the Lord is to behold Christ. Do you? Have you? To inquire of the Lord is to come to Christ. To hear his words, as we thought of this morning. And in his name, and on account of his salvation, which we have in him, to be able to approach the throne of grace. He bids us come, and we may. One desire, one thing, one place, one God. When you go there, when that for you is everything that it means to be a Christian, then it is that you will enter into the reality of verses 5 and 6. So I'm not going to say an awful lot about those verses in Psalm 27. In the time of trouble, says David, God shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. How does that actually happen? How do you get to experience what David is talking about there? Well, David says all of that follows from having come into the house of the Lord and dwelling there. It's by abiding in Christ. By actively seeking to dwell in his presence like David did. 
then it is, there it is, that you will know his comfort, his protection, and his peace. You turn your eyes upon Jesus. You look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth really do grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And of course, what David desires here is still his experience even now. Because this will forever be the state of the Lord's people in glory. It's all about this desire in our hearts for God in Christ above all else. This is what it means to be a Christian believer. That was what it meant to be an Old Testament believer. Nothing's changed. This one thing welling up inside of us over all other things. I heard a really moving story this week as I've been preparing this message. And I'm going to close with this. It involves two young parents who lost their four-year-old son very unexpectedly. They were not Christians at the time. They had no particular interest in spiritual things. One day, their young son, Billy, came to his dad and asked him, Daddy, how do you pray? This really young boy had been listening to some gospel music. And he'd heard about people praying. It has struck a chord with this young lad. Daddy, how do you pray? Well, his dad didn't have a clue. He was surprised to be asked such a question by such a young boy. Not long afterwards, young Billy, very suddenly and unexpectedly, fell gravely ill at home and was lying down on the couch. His mum could just sense that something was terribly wrong. She had this overwhelming fear that actually her son was dying right in front of her. And indeed he was. She called for help. A few family members came round. And they were waiting for medical assistance when suddenly young Billy sat up. And he said, look, look, mummy, can you see him? And his parents describe how his face just broke into a calm and beaming smile. And this four-year-old boy said, he's come to take me. And he stretched out his hands in front of him. And he passed away. While God indeed moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. 
and the death of their son led to both of Billy's parents being converted and wonderfully saved. And in this story, there's one more mysterious way in which God worked. Billy's mum, still only a young Christian, understandably would cry herself to sleep every night. The one thing that kept her going was imagining herself one day being in heaven so that she could be reunited with her son. And for her, that is what heaven would be all about. Just being with her son once more. I think we can understand that, can't we? In her grief and in her anguish. Perhaps for some people that is what heaven is all about. It's just about somewhere to escape from here. The place where you can be reunited with loved ones on the far side. Then one night this grieving mother had a dream. And she saw a group of happy laughing children. And her own son Billy was alongside her holding her hand in her dream. And then Billy let go of her hand and ran over to join all of the other children and never once looked back to see her. And in her dream she noticed that was, there was someone in the midst of all of these children and all of their focus was on him. And her eye caught his. And in her dream she knew that it was Christ And she found herself simply falling at the feet of her Saviour and confessing her love for him. Now, we should never be too concerned about making too much out of dreams. But that dream had a powerful and long-lasting effect on that young grieving mum. And for the better. From that time onward, her testimony was that she cherished so much all the memories of her son. And her great comfort was that Billy would forever be with Christ. But she'd come to see that in the past, For her, heaven had simply been the place where she would be with Billy once again. And that's all heaven had been. But now she saw it completely differently. For her, heaven meant that she would be with Christ. To worship him. And that one thing far surpassed anything else, even her son. For her now, heaven was about one thing.
Christ. One desire. One thing. One place. One God and Saviour. Therefore, said David, therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. <laughs> 